Welcome to Stories from the First Watch. This is both a solo role-playing game and an experiment in audio storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. Once the game starts, nothing is predetermined. The dice are in control. Last time, we rejoined the parties they encountered an imprisoned and badly wounded bandit named Morton, who had been the handler of the Dwarven Undead, raised by the necromancer who has made his home in Caramond. Morton had been bitten by his charges, and, as a result, was abandoned by his fellows in the cohort of Paha. Almanda, realising the man's time is almost up, manages to cajole information out of him and the party learn why the bandits have been raiding Hollow Hill and capturing its inhabitants. They also receive confirmation that the bandits have been aided by a traitor in the villagers' mist. Before they can learn any more, Morton breathes his last, but shortly after is resurrected as another undead creature, who attempts to attack Almanda before Narvi comes to the latter's aid. Shaken, the party decide to rest, and Mara's studies pay off as she is imbued with sorcery and receives the spell Detect Magic. Continuing their journey into the heart of the fortress, the party realise the passages are heading downwards and becoming less worked by dwarven hands, until they find themselves in deep down caverns. Narvi explains this is a dwarf custom to placate the spirits of the Undermountains. Shortly after, the party is surprised by a group of giant beetles who have been feasting on the corpses of two bandits. After a brief struggle, in which Longo is badly hurt and Kilia suffers the effects of one of the creature's poisonous attacks, the beetles give up and scuttle off into the darkness. We come back to the party in the immediate aftermath of this fight. Day 6, early morning. Party status. Kilia, 4 of 7 hit points. Almanda, 11 of 14 hit points. Navi, 5 of 12 hit points. Mara, 8 of 8 hit points. Macus, 8 of 8 hit points. Longo, 1 of 7 hit points. Spells available. Read magic. Shield and detect magic. Navi has used cure light wounds on Kilia and will need to pray to Kazan to use it again. The chittering of the giant insects faded away into the darkness and silence flooded back into the tunnel, broken only by the party members heavy breathing and the groans of Longo, who sank to his haunches. He had a large gash across his side which had torn a gaping hole in his leather jerkin. Although Narvi had partially healed Kilia of the poison that had entered her lungs, the young thief still looked pale and ill, even in the flickering light of their torches. We need to get somewhere safe, Mara urged. Almanda nodded, and he and Macus helped Longo to his feet. The lanky villager limped, his face contorted in pain. Kilia, feeling somewhat better, took up her scouting role again, melting into the shadows ahead the rest of the party moving slower, 
at Longo's injured pace. After a few moments, she found a junction. One tunnel turned right, heading further down into the depths. The other curved round to the left and seemed to head back upwards to the previous levels. Narvi, his dark sight still keen, was convinced he could sense faint light coming from several yards ahead. Well, Master Dwarf, said Almanda, what do you make of this? Do you want us to piss off any more of your deep down devils? Or shall we head back to the bandit's nest? Narvi was resolute, ignoring, or perhaps not realising, the sarcasm in the fighter's voice. I propose we complete our task as quickly as we can. Save these poor people, and cleanse my kin's home of this evil. The rest murmured their agreement, and they took the left-hand tunnel. Behind the scenes The party have made a decision to leave the lower tunnels and head back to the passageways of the Dwarven Fortress. But they may have more unwanted company. As we now know, the Goblin Band have returned to Caramond, and have picked up the party's scent trail. It's now only a matter of time before they hunt them down. I'm going to roll on the Mythic GM emulator before the party enter a new area, to see if the party are found. If the party manages to escape on a roll, I'll increase the chaos factor for the next roll, which by extension increases the chance that the goblins will face them. Okay then, on this first roll, I'll set the chaos factor to 5. This is a straightforward 50-50 chance. On a 50 or less, the party are discovered. This could be very dangerous, as even with Longo and Macus, they will be greatly outnumbered. Here goes. 74. The party are lucky, and evade detection, for now. The goblin's blood was up. They could smell the intruder's scent even more strongly around the hidden entrance to the old dwarf fort. Druk was worried, but not that the party would ransack the hideout. Rather, he was concerned that the stinking humans, who he was grudgingly in alliance with, would capture them before he could, and hand them over to the sinister creature who paid their wages. He had no great love for Lucan, but a steady wage, all the man flesh he could eat, and the chance to toy with and kill some of the hated humans, all meant he was prepared to put aside his twisted principles and ally with these strange cultists. The alliance had been uneasy, but the Goblin Raiders had proved useful, ranging far and wide to find new bodies for the Necromancer's dark experiments, whilst the cohort of Paha's mercenaries had concentrated on attacking Hollow Hill and other nearby settlements. The turmoil in the wider provinces, and these settlements' isolation, meant that the Allies' plan had worked well. But there was always the chance that the two sides could quarrel, and the fate of these adventurers seemed likely to cause a rift. They had enraged Druk by killing four of his best goblins, and then evading capture. There was no way he would let the bandits have them. He wanted the satisfaction of tearing into their tender flesh himself. Druk spoke the words of power, opening up the hidden tunnel entrance, and the goblins swarmed down the ladder face first, like great gangling spiders. Soon they would have their revenge on these miserable wretches.
The party stopped in a small chamber, with a lip of rock that gave shelter from the passageway, and the view down the tunnel they had just travelled up. After a quick scout around, Killy was satisfied that it was safe, and they dropped to their seats for a short rest. They lay for a couple of hours, munching on rations, too exhausted to talk. Longo was ashen-faced, and although Navi had used his healing powers on the thief during the last combat, he did his best to make the militiaman comfortable. The others kept themselves occupied. Kilia restrung her bow. Mara buried her nose in a spellbook. Macus moodily stitched up a tear in his breeches. And Elmanda ran a whetstone softly along his sword blade. When they felt they could rest no longer, the party got stiffly to their feet and continued upwards until they again reached the levels of the old dwarven halls. behind the scenes. So the party have had a short rest and have gained back a desperately needed hit point each. I'll give them a respite from the goblin threat for now, but I'm going to roll for an encounter. On a one or two, they will come across something. Two. Okay, is this encounter friendly or unfriendly? For their sake, I hope it's the latter. I'll call it 50-50 on the mythic GM emulator. Below 50 is friendly. 44. Okay, that's friendly. Now, I have rolled a double on the D100. And with Mythic, this means I can now roll on the event meaning table to determine something that interrupts the plot. I'll roll twice, once for the action and once for the subject. 22. Bethrend. Well, that's a good start. 15. The Innocent. Befriend the Innocent. Hmm. I think I know exactly what this means. Let's return to the story. Day 6, late morning. Kilia, 5 of 7 hit points. Elmanda, 12 of 14 hit points. Navi, 6 of 12 hit points. Mara, 8 of 8 hit points. Macus, 8 of 8 hit points. Longo, Two of seven hit points. Spells available, no change. The party came to a doorless opening and found themselves in a long rectangular room. Two braziers were fixed to the wall, either side of an ornate altarpiece, carved to represent a craggy face, which Navi recognised as one of the aspects of Azorgon, one of the minor deities that serve Gazan in the Dwarven Pantheon. To the left-hand side of this was a pedestal, on which stood the statue of a humanoid creature with ram-like horns and cloven feet. Again, the dwarf recognised this as a representation of the underground spirits. This suggested that the room was a chapel, dedicated both to the dwarven gods and to the denizens of the deep dark. But the reason the party members could see these objects so clearly was the thing that worried them most. Both braziers were lit the first time they had encountered any such sign of habitation since finding the dead bandits. Immediately they were on guard. Was someone here? An answer came to them very shortly after. A gruff moan emanated from the shadows on the other side of the room. The weak lights of the brazier barely penetrated there, but Navi could see a row of thinly spaced iron bars. Look! he exclaimed. There were shadowy figures shuffling to their feet behind the bars. The darkness obscured their features. 
More of those dead things! Killer exclaimed in disgust, notching an arrow to her short bow. But the dwarf put his hand in front of the weapon sharply. No! Three of the figures had come right to the edges of the bars, and finally the party could see that they were living and human. There was a man, woman, and a small child in view now, all emaciated and wearing filthy rags. Please, said the man, his face obscured by thick bushy hair and several days growth of beard. You're not from the Brotherhood. Were you sent from Hollow Hill? Aye, said Armanda. Your reeve has hired us to get you out, and now we will. We are looking for sixteen folk. Are you all here? The man was silent, and the woman began to sob. Gradually, more villagers, ranging in age from young children to an elderly woman in her seventies, shuffled into view. They were in a similar dire condition, and were shackled by iron manacles that restricted their movements. Mara counted eleven in total. We have been here for two weeks, the man said eventually. There were five here before us. One by one they were taken away. We have heard nothing of them since. Those bastard bandits do not speak to us, other than to jeer at us and insult us. All they do is kick and beat us and feed us slop that even a pig would refuse. If you release us now, I swear on my life, I will help you kill them all one by one. <coughs> I've no doubt you would, said Amanda kindly. But we have a mission to complete, and that is to get you out safe and alive. There are things here that nobody should have to confront, let alone you in your conditions. You may not have much time, said the man. It's been a couple of days since the last of us were taken away. He comes down himself and selects one of us personally. He could be coming any minute now. He, said Navi. Who is this he of whom you speak? The man looked down, slightly surprised to see a dwarf, but answered in a thick voice. Their leader, a tall, wizened man, looks like he's been dug up after a century of lying in a peat bog. He wears a cloak and carries a long staff, one with a raven's skull on its tip. He comes and looks at us. He touches us with those disgusting bony hands. Then he chooses one, and they get carried off, kicking and screaming by his cronies. I don't know exactly, but the bandits have referred to him as Master Lu Ken. There was a grinding noise behind the party. Behind the scenes, earlier I mentioned that there was a statue of a demonic looking deity mounted on a pedestal to the left of the old chapel altar. This wasn't just for atmospheric colour, this is another of the methods that Lucan has used to guard his lair. It is an enchanted construct brought to life by the dark magic of the necromancer. If Mara had used her detect magic spell, the party may have been aware of this presence beforehand. Navi will be furious to see this important dwarven religious icon desecrated by this blasphemy, but nonetheless this living statue acts as the prison's guardian. If persons unknown to Lucan enter the former chapel, the living statue will animate after five minutes have passed and launch an attack. 
as an automaton, it automatically passes any morale check, and, worst of all, it fights by launching sprays of molten rock from its fingertips. I'm going to roll for surprise as it lurches down from its pedestal behind the party, who are occupied by their discovery of the prisoners from Hollow Hill. I will roll for each of the party members on a wisdom check. If they fail, then the statue will have a free attack on them, which could potentially be disastrous. Rolling for each party member. Navi and Mara both have high wisdom scores and thus get a plus one bonus to their rolls. Kilia, a five, that fails. Elmanda, 13, that's also a failure. Navi, 15, again a failure, just even with his wisdom bonus. Mara, 10, another failure, again despite her bonus. Well then, none of the party reacted in time to the appearance of the living statue. This encounter is likely to be difficult, and it may mean the end of one of more of the brave adventurers. But that will have to wait until next time. Meanwhile, even if they succeed in defeating the statue, things may get even worse. A couple of hours have passed during their rest, and it's time to roll again to see if the goblins have caught up with the party. I'm going to roll on the Mythic GM Emulator Fate chart again, with the Chaos Factor increased to 6. This increases the chance of a 50-50 yes result to 65%. Let's see, can the party hold off on the confrontation for a few moments longer? Rolling a d100. 29. The goblins thundered down the tunnel, the scent of the party hot in their nostrils. They poured through the ruined chambers, stopping only to register the smell of congealed and putrid flesh and decay from the corpses of the zombies, which they avoided with distaste. The hunt was reaching its endgame. They followed the trail down into the dark depths, where they came across the corpses of the bandits and the giant beetles, and then followed the paths back upwards again. Finally, Druk called a halt, and motioned his band to be quiet, cuffing the nearest goblin round the head for emphasis. Ahead was the distant sound of shouting and the clang of weapons. So, Druk smiled to himself, this was the time. Thank you for listening to Stories from the First Watch. I'd like to take the time to give a big thanks to Dan from the Legends from the Fireside podcast, who voices the imprisoned villager. This show has been one of my biggest inspirations in creating this series, and Dan's world building is a joy. Listen to Legends from the Fireside on all good podcast providers. The party members have been discovered, this could be grave for them. They are outnumbered and suffering the effects of multiple combats since they first entered these haunted tunnels. Will they first survive the living statue? And then, how will they react to the goblins' discovery of them? Will they fight on to the death? Or will they try to come to a more peaceful resolution? To find out, join me next time for more stories from the first watch.